This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're talking crime today. There's a new crime wave sweeping Australian media, particularly on television. Uh, the culprits behind it in, in large are um, the Full Box, the Sydney production house. We've actually spoken to before, I think, on a Media Week podcast, but you'd have to have a long memory to remember that one. So I'm here with the two... Um, Two co-founders of the Full Box, Brian Cockerell and Jerry Coy. Welcome, team. And also joining us today, Adam Shand, author, broadcaster, podcaster. Adam, welcome to you as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jerry and Brian, now give us a little bit of background. What what exactly is Australian Crime Stories? Uh, Well, this is the third uh, instalment of the the series. So the first two were, originally were Tough Nuts, which was um, a series we did for Crime Investigation Channel on Foxtel. And then we re-edited it, re-imagined it for Channel 9 as Australian Crime Stories uh, with narration by Mark Burrows. And that did really well for us. And uh, last year we were talking to Hugh Marks and he said, I want more of your stuff. And so... That's a good uh, thing for uh, Hugh Marks to say. Absolutely. And so we wanted to sort of reimagine what we'd done. Previously, the series was very much eight single criminals, criminal biographies of, of people. And this time we thought we wanted to broaden the palette and look at really interesting crimes, uh, Australian famous Australian crimes, and ones you don't know about as well. Um, and real variety of different things, everything from, like, really dark stuff through to, you know, capers. Um, so it's a really great uh, eight episodes we're doing for this, and, and basically we worked all the stories out in conjunction with Adam. Adam and I got together and just sort of said, what are our great stories we've always wanted to tell? and threw them around and came up with, I think, a really fantastic eight episodes. It's, um, they're great. Every single one of them is an absolute corker. And as we've been making them, we keep sort of saying, oh, that's my favourite. And then someone, and then you see the next one and go, oh, I think that's my favourite. So, yeah, going really well. And we had the pleasure of working with Adam Shand for the Kangaroo Gang Thieves by Appointment, our BBC Worldwide production. So, and Adam... We worked with him also through Tough Nuts and Australian Crime Stories 1 and 2. So it's a pleasure working with Adam again on this series, Series 3. Thank you. Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure to be part of it, really. How long before we'll... um, When will we start to see it on 9? It's scheduled to launch on Sunday the 24th of February, so a couple of weeks. Okay, so you'll be keeping that late night... uh crime slot alive? Uh, so after 60 minutes, so yep. somewhere between 9, 9.30. Yep. Depends what's happening. Fantastic. Yep. Adam, tell us, so you, you worked on the um, the Kangaroo Gang with uh, the full box. Just just refresh our minds about that one. Yeah, it's the story of a bunch of shoplifters from Sydney and Melbourne who go to Britain in the 60s. Um, it's the greatest crime spree without violence that Britain's ever seen. And um, I guess in that's, it's a difficult story because it doesn't have murder in it, it doesn't have massive heists. It has lots of small heists and a great culture and great atmosphere. And Brian and Jerry were really able to see that. And, and turn that into a, into a very great production, I think. And, and that gave us me a lot of confidence to bring some stories in for, for Australian Crime Stories 3 that had some of those little elements that required just a very fine touch, you know. And, um, and we've talked a lot about how the, the genre has matured over the time, and I think ACS3, to me, is the best of breed. I think it's, it's, uh, it's great journalism, it's great narrative 
storytelling as well. It's not getting hung up on itself in terms of sensationalism or indeed uh, over-dramatising things. It's just, it shows not only um, where the art's at, but also where we're at as storytellers in true crime. Because you should be the go-to guy, right? So for people who don't know you, just give us a bit of background. Are you a broadcaster? I mean, you, you've you worked in Perth for a couple of years. You did Drive. You've been a crime journalist based in Melbourne. You've got a string of books as well. And you, people who know you for your podcast work with uh, Podcast One, where you've got some great stuff at the moment. Yeah, it all kind of fits together in a funny way, uh, all those different things. And, uh, you know, from going from originally doing financial journalism back in the 80s into television, Today Show, Sunday Program, all that kind of stuff. And then Africa as well, I was a correspondent there. And over time, I guess you sort of start to develop a style and an attitude to the world and, and, you, and you get more confidence and insight to produce those stories. And I think it's always about saying, you know, what's the dramatic arc of this story? You know, with that, while still keeping within journalism, but understanding the audience a bit better and knowing what, what motivates them. And uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I've gone away from doing sort of news-style things and much more in, in the podcast, long form, you know, five, six hours worth of material that has a definite sort of progression and arc. And, and, uh, and we brought that into the um, in, into this series as well, I think. Because that first episode, for people who've followed your podcasts, they'll be familiar with the Lucille Butterworth story, correct? That's Lucille Butterworth, a 20-year-old woman. She disappears from a bus stop in Hobart. Uh, there, there is a clear suspect, but the police, for their own reasons, decide not to pursue that suspect. Forty years pass. The, the police are putting together a case for the coroner, and they do amazing work. And uh, without giving too many spoilers, uh, it hasn't come to a resolution yet. But I guess the thing about uh, going from the podcast to TV is that you've got a chance to amplify the things you've done on the podcast, the highlights of it, uh, but also to take it forward as well and, um, and maybe attract... So I'm all about getting cases solved now. I'm not, just not happy with simply telling the story anymore. You really... you Because this one we've been doing it three or four years now, you know. Um, so you really want to take it forward, help and help resolve this thing. And I think the podcast plus the TV is the very best and possibly last chance to get a result for the family. So I'm very motivated by that. Brian and Jerry, with, with the, a fair bit of... Um real crime examination going on at the moment, different documentary series. Do you need to be aware of what else is out there? So I guess you're not all covering the same sorts of stories, I guess. Do you need to keep an eye on it? Yeah, well, you do. I mean, you've, 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 worst case scenario would be if you're actually just treading over ground that someone's ahead of you on or doing something in the same vein. Um, so that's part of the thing of, of keeping an eye an eye on the zeitgeist, but also knowing your own stories really well. And that's the thing too. You, you, you're kind of pretty certain that no one else is going to be doing a story if you've uncovered it. And I think that's what we've got in a lot of our episodes. We've either, it's a story that no one else has done or no one's seen it from the angle that we've done it. So in that way too, sometimes we're covering stories that you may know about, but you've never heard it this way. Well, yeah, good examples, the Kerry Packers Gold episode, mm. which is one of my favourites. They're all my favourites, <laughs> but that one in particular, because Brian had the story. We kind of thought it was a bit of a, you called it a shaggy dog story. It yeah. had, had been in the papers, Kerry's Gold gets stolen back in 95, it's unsolved, and that's where it kind of finished. Mm. But um, you brought this great story, we did some more research, we, we, we matched up with things that we knew uh, from other research, and suddenly we had a much bigger story. Yeah. A really fascinating story. And that was the thing, once we started digging more into it, it was one of those ones too where you... 
you're right. Where it started as as really a a bit of a, a short series of articles that were in the paper and didn't really go anywhere. And but then the more digging we did, we're like, well, there's <laughs> there's a hell of a lot. Hang on, there's so much undercurrent in this. And, and as Adam sort of says beautifully at the top of the, the story, this is a story that's it's not just about missing gold. This is about revenge and a whole lot of other things as well, you know. Um, so it's trust, revenge, I think, was the, were the lines. You're ruining my line here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I know. It's a story about loyalty, betrayal and, and revenge. revenge. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Loyalty, betrayal and revenge, yeah. Can't so get through the day without those three things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what episode in will be the um, Packers Gold one? Episode two, we episode think. Episode two, wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. How hard, I'm guessing that would have been quite hard to follow and get into maybe that story because you can understand people have obviously been reluctant to talk over the years. Well, we, we found the exact opposite actually. People really? were, were, you know, it was such a great story. I think the, exactly the passage of time. Okay. Sometimes I think that's the great thing. The passage of time allows people to just talk more openly. But obviously, of course, uh, some of the major players are no longer around. But, the, you know, the great investigation we did, <clears throat> we've really got very, 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 very close to the source material. You well, know? Exactly. And I think the great thing in that production was the fact that New South Wales Police were prepared to help. Yeah. They were yeah. really helpful, and I think they could see the benefit of they might even get this solved, you know, mm. or, they, you know, or at least they, you know, they, they had a reason to help us, which I think is not always the case mm. with true crime, and I think more police forces are having to realise that this crime wave, as you call it, may help them solve cases as well. Absolutely. So they take it more serious than they previously did. The general public, you know, especially mm. with crimes where time has passed. So, say, for example, especially with Lucille, that's the thing. Someone may watch this and remember something. I think you've used that phrase before, where someone has... A member of the family might have passed on yeah. someone close to, to them that or they remember something by watching the show. And that's the thing with Lucille, we'd love to clear that up. Um, Packer I think we well. will. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to make the gutsy call and say I think there's going to be significant evidence out of that because we've done five episodes first on the podcast, on podcast one, Understate Lucille Butterworth, and we had people come forward then. We did an episode six. More people have come forward then. We don't know what that evidence is yet, but we know they have. So when you take it... See, podcast is only, what, 17%... Of the of the audience, right? Television's got a much much greater penetration, so the so the uh, opportunity to to have those both those productions working to actually appeal to the public who may have something out there, you know. And I just hope they come forward. Jerry, your role in this, you sort of I'm guessing you run the operation. Brian goes out and with the camera and and does a lot of that that work. Do you? I mean, things like legals and all that sort of stuff. Is that one of your areas of concern? Yeah, oh, not concern. Um, but you look after. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So yeah. we've got a great uh, media lawyer who does a pass on every episode. Um, often in contact with any quick questions on, you know, would this be okay to say? Would this be okay to show? Um, we get access to some really interesting records that, um, you know, I have to get approvals just to, if we can, you know, whether we identify people and um, records. Um, 
And yeah, I'm often on, I'm on location pretty much as well when we're shooting. Sure. Um, I, think she, I think she's underselling her role, by the way. She's doing everything. Really. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, she has a pass on scripts, yeah. have uh, attitudes on, and often it's just like you and Brian and I are nutting away at something, and you just need that kind of taste call, the judgment mm. call. Do you go? I don't think so. Or yes, do that. You know what I mean? That's really useful. I think that's been a great feature of this that there's no kind of really yeah, no we're, we're, a, we're a small little unit. So, you know, we've got our team beavering away over at post-op doing the, the post. But apart from them, you know, it's just, it's really, it's the three of us here that we go out and shoot everything. And, and you're right, we, we can be standing in a location and, you know, we've planned out, this is where we want to shoot a piece of camera, but we suddenly it's not working. And there's all that stuff that we're nutting out at that exact moment, which is, you know, how do we... How do we say what we want to say, but this is not working for us? And rewriting the script, and and same thing. And, and Jerry running an eye over it, going, "Well, if you say that, then that's going to affect that part of the script." And mm. you know, um, so we were in Melbourne recently when it was forty six degrees, and Jerry's running the mobile office out of a, an, a out of a <laughs> Kia I thirty, and um, was trying to keep you know our crew hydrated and not dead on the ground. Yeah. Meanwhile, also you know running interference back to the office. It was just a, yeah, and like know, Brian's going. One more take and make you delirious. <laughs> we are going inside now. <laughs> so tell me some of the. So you you really go to the source in all from what I've seen. Mm. So there's talking heads, people who were really involved. Absolutely. Uh, you, there was a lot of that, obviously, in the the original Tough Nuts yeah. too. Has the climate changed much for uh, some of these people? Realised, oh hello, I, I could be getting an urn out of this. Or do, do the um, characters you deal with vary from very easy to get on with to people who maybe need a bit more management? Uh, look, that's always been the interesting thing and, and I found, like, it was interesting on Tough Nuts, it was uh, the people who were the most delightful on set were the ex-crims. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, it's, it, it sort of varies. We've, we've, it depends on the crimes that we're sort of covering as well and... Because there is a difficult thing sometimes, of course, and, and Adam a lot of times is at, is at the forefront of things where he's trying to coax someone to come on to speak for the first time um, about a crime that happened to them or a member of their family. And it can be that thing you've got to be got to be mindful of that, that we're, you know, we are making a TV show, but it's not like we're, you know, lining up actors to play roles. These people are talking about moments in their life that, that some of them can't, ever get over and we have to be unbelievably careful about how we we have a great responsibility to the people that, that we have on camera um, and we're always very mindful of that and I think it's from our experience over having done this now for you know over a decade I think we're really good at managing that part of it and we're every single person coming on camera we're you know we're very careful about that I'll ask you this Adam and, and also the full box have you ever pissed anybody off <laughs> through unintentionally? What time is it? <laughs> <laughs> with your coverage, and I guess with these people, you've probably got to be a little bit careful about uh, their well, reaction. Well, you do. I mean, you've always got to be truthful, but the truth can hurt still. And I think I think um, uh, we haven't got to that point. But I think where where you give them a fair go, and you, and you, and you put in the things that possibly smooth the story a little bit, that are exculpatory, for instance, you know, and people will step forward. And I think, I think in this case we've had people come forward for, with these stories that, 
that have said no to other people, which I'm always very pleased about because it, it reflects the track record of the full box and my own history as well of, of dealing with people successfully, hopefully. And so I think... And when you sit down with them, we spend a long time, you know, uh, before the interviews, explaining what we're trying to do here. And, and this is not a sensationalised thing. It's about, in the case of the Butterworth family, they've had journalists take them up to the top of the mountain so many occasions, mm. only to leave them up there, you know. And we're saying no. I mean, because of the combination of the, of the podcast plus the TV show, we're going to keep on this for years and years. So you have to have a serious approach. And, I mean, the same out of the, out of the Kerry Packers' goal story. I mean the boss at Podcast One has said, I want that as a podcast now. You're going to keep working on it. I want more, you know. So, you, yeah, you build up this track record with the talent and, the, and then hopefully it doesn't become as much a problem. We have had the odd problem. <laughs> I know for Tough Nuts we had one of our talent who was a friend of a hardened criminal and that's what we put on the super and he got in touch and said, you know, how dare you say I was a friend of this hardened criminal? That's exactly what he was, um, but he wasn't happy to announce that. So there's been a couple of things like that. When you think you've cleared it with them and then when they've had time to reflect, um, they may not be happy. Well, it might have been the phone calls that he got that kind of <laughs> made him change his mind about saying, oh, I probably shouldn't have said I was a friend. Uh, yeah. So in subsequent to that, it's always... It has, you know, we've changed that super. We won't say what it is, so you don't identify who the person is. But you shouldn't worry about people who call you. The ones who don't call well, that's, you, you worry about. That's that's the old experience. That's the old Lenny McPherson line. <laughs> is it? Oh, was it? Yeah, was it Lenny? Brian Murphy. Brian Murphy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was doing doing the whole gangland war thing back in two thousand three four, and I would get these phone calls from people saying, "I'm going to come burn your house down and eat your dog and all this kind of thing." And I'd, I'd ring up Brian. Oh, he said, "Mate, it's not the ones who ring you." Should worry. <laughs> oh, that was that was that was one that was a, a great moment on Tough Nuts where we had uh, Chopper Reed in the chair talking about um, the great uh, armed robber. Um, no, no, uh, the the fox. Um, uh, anyway, Matt Cox. Russell Cox. Right, okay. And uh, Chopper's talking about Russell Cox, and he suddenly just stops and leans over to Peter Hoisted, our mate, uh, who was uh, uh, doing the questions on it. He said, "Now, if you." Talk to Russell about doing this show, and uh, and Jack said, "No, we haven't." Goes, because you know he's a hedge jumper. And Jack said, "What's a hedge jumper?" He goes, "Oh, he jumps over your front hedge and shoots you with a fucking shotgun." <laughs> and Jack's going, "Oh my god!" And then Chopper's going, "Nah, he's a good bloke. It's all right." <laughs> I mean, that's a remarkable thing, James. I mean, I, I'm 20 years of doing this crime stuff. I mean, the worst thing you do is get people's names wrong. Hmm. There's such a lot of ego involved in getting into these shows and books and stuff, you know? Hmm. And uh, I've had written books where I've accused people of murders and they say, yeah, look, I'm in there, they're great. You know, I wish I put a better picture, this type of thing, you know? So, it's, hmm. you know, I think we've created, uh, you know, monsters and stars out of this thing. Will you, um, is there a sort of a book in this for you or anything or are you... You still doing books, or is it? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's all the book seems an obsolete form at the moment. When you got, I was going podcasts. to say. I mean, you, you you read now about how hard it is to make an earn out of a book and podcast is the medium. Well, that's right. And particularly once you've done a podcast or even a comprehensive TV series, the book publisher is now leery because he thinks it's all been done. You know, so you really, they have to have very clear air uh, these days and, uh, you know, and that's a difficult... I'd love to do more books is the answer to the question, but I'm, I'm just not sure I will at the moment. Give us a tease. So we've heard about uh, Lucille Butterworth case, the um, Packers, the disappearance of the gold. And I'm guessing that... So when you started on this, the gold had never turned up, right? Still hasn't. Still hasn't. 
Well, let's not give away spoilers. No. <laughs> um, I've got a theory. Yeah, we've got, we got a bloody good theory. Very close to the truth. But, um, yeah, look, it's a really interesting palette. We've got even, you know, we, we're also looking at uh, at the extra, well, Australia's Most Corrupt Cop, which that's, um, I'm trying to remember. Mark Standen. Mark Standen, of course. Um, and that's a fascinating story where, once again, um, it's a guy that, just sails too close to the wind. Is caught by you know the the very human. It's a very human story because it's about someone that's you know trapped in greed and wanting the better lifestyle and and also uh, fascinatingly in this world of of like undercover police that are working with these drug syndicates that are worth billions and billions of dollars. They're just seeing so much money. It's so difficult to resist the temptation. You now, where these people are throwing around, well, you know these are Syndicates that are, well, as this syndicate is so big, this Dutch syndicate that he was caught up with. So Sydney or Melbourne? The Sydney story. Sydney. Okay. Yeah, but a Dutch syndicate was so big that he was caught up with that they manufacture pills in the back of trucks while they're still moving around because they're just they've just got to make so many drugs. Right. So it's a billion, multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, situation. So this story guy I love. Gets yeah, the story I love. John Friedrich, mm. National Safety Council. It's yeah. a story we all kind of knew at the time, mm. but when you get into it and you realise the magnitude of the fraud, but also the chutzpah of this guy, mm. where he come, he arrives from Germany, assumes this identity, and plays it to the very, very end, you know? Mm. And there's even, there's even people who s- still say, who knew that he was a fraud, say, well... I still liked John Friedrich. That's who mm. I thought he was. I don't relate to this Hohenberger character. And, I, yeah. and that's, that one is, is as much about crime as about the times in Australia where I think up until the 70s, you could come from somewhere else and reinvent yourself, you know, mm. change religions, change names, change occupations, recast yourself. That's what he did. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's, a, and that's, that's another one you brought to me as well, which I hadn't yeah. really thought about. Oh, and look, when I've, we kind I've, of put it together and you, and you have that, those elements of the social history plus the crime, yeah. I think it's really, really engaging. Well, especially it's, it's the biggest fraud in Australia's history and it's just swept under the carpet. And, it's, and with the timing, it's a perfect time to retell that story because, you know, the moment we're looking at, at how the banks operate, <clears throat> the banks are operating now. And this was a time where I think he got $108 million, one of the, he got $108 million from the State Savings Bank of Victoria and he didn't even ask for it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, they were th- yeah. They were th- any good story would do. I, I was writing financial journalism at the time, and it was very much in keeping with that because any good story will do. Mm. We just the, the competitions now for the banks to lend, and they would just fund these ridiculous schemes. Mm. So that's another great story. And then we're looking. Um, Adam's been very deep into the the Shane Chartres Abbott, the, the famous vampire gigolo case. And this is an extraordinary story because as we're, we're, it's in edit now, but it's still unfolding in Victoria. We have a story that's, yeah. that is so live, you know, before you walked in today, we were still rewriting the end of it because we don't know where it's going to finish. Well, that's right, because it's, it's, uh, it's, 
influenced by the Lawyer X scandal in Melbourne and how some of yeah. the key playing and you suddenly see with the latest news why certain things happened before you say, ah, now I realise because Lawyer X was inserted into that spot there and went, went, went to see one of the suspects with the dodgy information from the so-called informer and then is massaging, trying to get the right story out of the suspect, um, her own client. Unbelievable. So the extent to which Victoria Police just dropped the ball and went for the, went for the, the, for the political outcome not the one the evidence suggested, mm. as we did in Trials of the Vampire podcast. It follows some of that. It's also updated for things that have happened since as well. And we take a, a journey through the actual file of the Mr. Cruel case. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to be dramatic. <laughs> Mr. Cruel. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a... a, a a wave of violence against women in Melbourne the last couple of years, from Jill Maher through to Eurydice Dixon and so forth. And this goes to an earlier era where you had a, a serial rapist abductor uh, cruising around the streets of Melbourne under the cover and picking his targets and uh, raping, um, with leaving virtually no evidence behind. And this all leads up to the the abduction and murder of Carmen Chan in 1991-92. And um, analysing the information again, you start to think maybe there was an over-reliance on a new science called FBI profiling at the mm. time, which led to the creation of one defendant. And we're really testing the, the, the possibility of multiple offenders because there are significant differences in the MO of the various things. And we've mm. got, as Brian just let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> You're able to really see what the police were faced with. And so the, so I, I think the, the viewer will be drawn into the same dilemmas the police had, yeah. and, and as we have as we go through the story. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a story of a city that's under panic mm. and police just reacting and not sure what they can do and, and trying to, to, to tidy this thing up as much as they can. And there's still a million-dollar reward out there. Yeah, and you know, and, and in our investigation, I think we get to some really interesting conclusions that haven't haven't really been looked at before. Yeah, and why wouldn't someone come forward? A million dollars on offer, yeah, just to put somebody in, and they haven't come forward. Um, and this story also goes to the heart of of policing, not just in Victoria but, but across the, across the country. If you're a, a molester, a rapist, or whatever, you could move from state to state. There's a good chance you wouldn't be caught uh, because the police force is just even to this day, are not great at, at cooperating. Mm. And at that time, there was a, there was a desire to put a, a national database together of sex offenders, and, and that would that could have been the, the major. It wasn't done. So, did this guy just get through the jurisdictional break, as it were? Tell me when you the work you guys do at the full box. How contemporary can you be? Do you need to? I'm guessing you need to leave a story to sort of settle for a while for the. Uh, immediate police investigation to to play out and stuff like that. Um, well, not really. It's it's each story. It, it depends on how we get the story, um, and we're happy to follow. And, and as we know, some of the stories we're doing are, are, are actually still live. Um, but yeah, it just depends from story to story. We're very happy to take on something that's an ongoing investigation. If we, but without wanting to get in the way of anyone. Um, uh, yes, it's it's not really a, th a thing that it's just wherever the story comes from and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, timing is important though in terms of cases that might 
either go back to the courts or have suppression orders around them yeah. and so forth. And the issues are not just defamation and things and factual stuff, but but, but contempt. Yeah. And as much as I like Brian, I don't want to share a cell with him. No. Um, <laughs> we, have to, we have to be very careful about those sort yeah. of things. And that's certainly, uh, you know, and I think also where there's where there are uh, other suspects out there who may be unfairly pulled in, we've got to take care of that as well. And, and well, and also the thing is just personal safety, too. We... we have tended to, to shy away from crimes that would lead a, lead them back to us. So, you know, we do prefer to have situations where, you know, the the criminal is either aged or dead. You in the phone book? <laughs> well, I came here under blindfold today, so yes. <laughs> I have no idea where we are, so if anybody's wondering. Um, yeah, that's... And what's the police attitude? I mean, I guess if you... You need to build a relationship, I guess, with, with people who are working in the police force because they need to trust you as well before you go and start sort of, you know, rummaging around. Yeah, I think it's that's a difficult one because... Um often they don't perceive there's anything in it for them. Some police forces have been better than others uh, with, with helping. Um, but I think, generally speaking, you know, you're more trouble than you're worth to them. So I think it's where you have uh, significant, significant information that they have to deal with you, then that's when you get the cooperation. You know, I, 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 the only exception is Tasmania, where they've been fantastic. I've got, I've got, I've got to keep both current serving officers and also past officers have really told the story in an amazing way. Yeah. And New South Wales Police have been very helpful. That's with a true. couple of last stories as well. Yeah. With Packers Gold in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, what's the um, interest in Australian crime with international broadcasters? Um, there is a lot of interest. I mean, crime is hot internationally now. There was a little bit of a slump probably five or six years ago here and internationally, but again, it's hot right now. So sometimes, and we're very mindful of this, Australian stories don't always translate that well internationally. Um, so, you know, we want our stories to resonate everywhere here and abroad um, and look great and be fabulous storytelling. So they're all the boxes that we're hopefully ticking. Um, I know a lot of the Asian countries for Australian Crime Story Series 1 and 2, because we did the dramatised recreations, um, there was quite a bit of violence and they Blame that one. didn't translate very well in throughout some of the Asian countries, Middle East. So, But generally, our stuff has sold very well around the world and hopefully this series and our other series, Suburban Gangsters, will as well. I mean, I really think that Australian true crime on TV and film has matured beautifully and I think you look at a film like Animal Kingdom, which I think broke the Australian vernacular and, uh, you know, our crimes and our locations to the world and I think we gain a lot of confidence from those sort of things and the audience wants more of it. I think, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm dealing with another crime situation where I'm uh, pitching it to America for a film and I thought we wanted that to have to base it in America. They said, no, 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 we want the Australian accents and we want the Australian locations. This is a really quintessentially Australian story. I don't think it was, but, but I think we have a great opportunity because um, we are pretty lawless. We've got, we got, we got a lot of good crimes. There's no doubt about that. Well, I, I think the point of it is the telling the hum, the hum, the international human stories. I think finding the human connection, I think, is where it works. Where previously, perhaps, you know, a series have just been the A B, oh, sorry, the A B C D of a crime. That 
you know, doesn't translate. But when you've got stories like the ones we're doing for this series, where it's about universal themes of, you know, the, you know, the seven deadly sins writ large, you know, greed, lust, envy, all those things, they're stories that doesn't matter whether they're, they happen in Uzbekistan or, you know... In Africa, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, I've been there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are, they're universal stories everyone can connect to because you know you're seeing that played out, and I think that's what we've really matured in our storytelling. I think it's also because Adam and I have spent a lot more time also doing writing in sort of the drama field as well, where we're sort of understanding a lot more about character and those kind of things. Where you know it's not just. But I think the, you know, you the know, result of that, though, is not yeah. to make it more elaborate and, and dramatic. Not. It's actually much more spare. Making it more, making and, more and simple. character-driven yeah. and event-driven yeah. rather than all the time saying, oh, look at this, oh, isn't this gory, isn't this terrible, yeah. that type of stuff. And I think yeah. you get over that. And, I think, and the audience has too. I don't think you can sort of tabloid it anymore. Like no. Because you do such a good job on real-life stuff, is it, is it harder now for people working in crime drama to, to get up projects, do you think? Well, look, I just think... Um, look, or it's very will the, right, the, the right show always thrive, do you think? Look, I, I just think it's very much on the cycle of things. And, and I think it is... Well, if you think, look at commercial TV, I think that the difficulty is that they're looking for primetime dramas that with absolute broad appeal. So... It is a little bit difficult if, if it's kind of like in the niche of crime, just can be a little bit difficult. But I think, you know, if, if someone had a go at, at looking at a, a good procedural crime series, I think it would work really well. But I think it just is, you know, cyclical, a little bit, you know, we, Australia has always had a history of crime, great crime, hospital, all those lawyer stories, you know, the, the three things that have run forever, you know, crime, uh, cop shows, law shows and hospital shows and they just come around in the cycle it's just the moment that cycle's not there and in fact true crime is filling that gap but also I think in some ways I think we're telling the stories in a superior way to what the dramatised versions are sorry to interrupt but I think people see the difference between true crime and crime drama I mean go into the bookstore and you see there's two shelves of true crime books because they're hard to research hard to write and they're difficult whereas there's just acres of crime drama and and most of those draw from true crime anyway and I think what what, I think what we're seeing in some of our stories you think you couldn't make this up I mean the vampire gigolo story you couldn't make this up no the the Kerry Packers gold story you know where where the secretary Maybe the insider who facilitates the... You couldn't make it up. No. You know? So I think that's... Yeah, you've always got an advantage if you're able to get out there and get, get original, authentic facts, then, you know, make it up, as it were. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Australian Crime Stories coming Sunday nights to nine. Now, Jerry, you mentioned before Suburban Gangsters. What's going on there? That's, um, uh, well, we've gone through all our old archive, so nearly 100 hours of interviews, all the research um, and interviews from Tough Nuts um, and Australian Crime Stories, Series 1 and 2, and we've reimagined it. So um, we've got... So that'll be later this year? I think so, yes. Yep. We're delivering okay. it to nine in about April. Yeah. So we, we, we really wanted to look back at how much amazing stories we had... And a lot of times, a lot of things miss the cut in the original series because, um, you know, we were so focused on telling the stories one way and we had all these amazing interviews with people like, you know, Chopper 
um, Roger Rogerson, you know, just these sitting on this absolute gold. Oh, and, oh, and Adam pointing at himself there. But, you know, we were sitting on this gold that we weren't able to fit into our first series, you know, for, you know, things like Roger Rogerson talking about how, oh, mate, you know, the simplest thing is getting rid of a body, you know, and yeah. it's like... Oh, well, I mean, when you look back at those <laughs> interviews, you know, they cease to be journalists and they're now history. Yeah. Mm. And the people, some of them are dead, some of them are in jail and so forth, mm. and, and, they're, and they're heavily mythologised stories in the first place that mm. we get the bottom of, and I think it's a very useful exercise. To do yeah, and we've, and we've... Very fresh. And we've reimagined them where we combine two of our former tough nuts and we link them through thematic purposes, whether it's something like they were linked criminal through their criminality, you yeah. know, like with um, Rantakil. Yeah, yeah, with um, you know, Chris Flannery and Gangitano, where the story there is that we which we couldn't really go into in uh, the series before was the fact that Gangitano idolized Chris Flannery and he wanted to be like Flannery and that, you know, we discovered that that one of Gangitano's first gigs as a criminal was to actually dig up one of Chris Flannery's old bodies and, and move it for him, you know, it was like he had to do his garbage disposal because Flannery was worried about, you know, them finding the body of a, a, a lawyer named Roger Wilson and Gangitano dug it up and moved it for him. So it's a, look, it's a great series and we've um, yeah, done some, and we've also shot some fresh interviews for it as well. Um, and Adam has done the writing on it, um, linking all the stories together. It's, it's a, oh, I think it's going to be a fabulous series for people to, to to look at. You know, it's a great series. Yeah. To be fair, Al Gibbons has done a lot of writing, has done a beautiful mm. treatment of the pictures, yeah. and really updated it. And I think it's compelling from that point of view. It's, uh, yeah. it's really clever. Um, it's not it's just a repackaging. Supervising yeah. post producer. It's a very stylish. Um, we've sort of taken. You know, a really interesting DNA from a whole lot of true crime series we've been watching from overseas, and this one's sort of a, a bit more of a slower storytelling style and more in depth. Um, really interesting um, atmospheric reconstructions Great that we put into it. Graphics yeah. and Earl, our supervising post producer, was that same role on Tough Nuts series one. Okay. So it was great to have her back. She knew the story. Fantastic. Look, I'm getting nervous hanging around here too long today. But um, <laughs> just, just we'll wind this up. Just give it. Is there any other little projects on the uh, four box burners that we can mention? I don't want to get well, we're anybody in trouble. Of about half a dozen things. Oh, yeah, okay. Comedy, drama, a couple of features which we know can take a couple of years to get up at least. So, yes, we're very actively developing with other creatives. and um, So yeah. people can read about it first in Media Week when there's something to report. Indeed. Yep. Absolutely, but also Wonderful. Series 4. We're already starting to look at the stories for okay. Series 4. Yep. Sure, we have to talk to the Nine Network about that, yep. but um, we're ready to go yeah, when they detail. are. Just detail. So, Adam, what, what, you're a busy busy man. What else you got on the go? Well, I think it's it's certainly Series 4 is starting to occupy our, our minds, uh, and I'm doing some more podcasts, of course. Got one coming out, uh, Jailhouse Lawyer, in a few days' time, 18th of February, which I think is a cracker, and just generally exploring that. Also looking at um, some scripted drama for podcasts okay. in the true crime area, which will be, yeah, well, be it, this, this is where the, that genre is going to, I think. So we're looking at... So this would be a particular case that... Particular case. One you'd of my recreate books, it. One of my with, books, actually. Okay. Taking the book and then updating it, adding dramatic elements, actors' wow. voices, uh, actuality as well. And I guess taking the audio book from, which I think is a fairly limited medium, um, to something that's much more interactive, much more 
showing the possibilities of podcasting. Mm-hmm. And lots of sound, grisly sound effects where necessary. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of gunshots, you know, things like that. Fantastic stuff. Look, it's great uh, getting in here today, wherever we are. Um, speaking with the full box, Brian and Jerry, well done. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, Adam Shand, um, we'll keep tuning into the Podcast One podcasts. Thank and you, And we are looking forward to Australian Crime Series. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Cheers.